flying around on corporate jets and drinking very expensive wine. And this is probably beyond what you expected your life to turn out to be. I'm assuming <laughs> I was a mess, particularly in the core of my soul. It wasn't about professionally. I was still looking fine on the outside. Peaking now at a new level professionally because you mastered all these other dimensions that are core. And you've got to make a decision. You know, I am where I am today because of me. I can tell you that I'm happy. I have, a, I have a happy marriage. You bring Nicole out and she has no idea you're about to propose. And we have footage of this and there's people like losing their minds. It doesn't matter how much you failed. Yeah, yeah. You just have to be humble enough to get help. My encouragement to you would be get in on the inner circle. If you're one of those people that are high on success and low on happiness, you may want to pay attention to this episode of Headspace. I consider myself a poster child of this. I've shared my story many times, and I love helping people in that place in life. One of my favorite stories of transformation is the story of Brandon Nicely, who is now one of my best friends, my business partner, and I just respect him, love him, admire him, and you will know why after you listen to his story. Welcome to Headspace. Enjoy this episode. Are you ready to talk about this stuff? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right, guys. So I invited Brandon Nicely. He's one of my favorite people to speak about something really, really important. Um, and sort of a classic trap for high performers is being super, super successful professionally and pretty low uh, personally. And Brandon is one of my best friends, uh, my business partner. We've done all of this sort of work together, uh, both professionally and spiritually and emotionally and character-wise. So, uh, so he, he and I are, I consider, poster childs of the classic uh, high achiever trap. So let's start with this. You built um, a billion-dollar company. Yeah, how, does that, how do you get there? How do you... How do you climb to that level? How does that feel, the dimensionality of it? Just give, give us some color. How do you, if we, if we are to imagine your journey, how would, how would that look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never really thought about the arc as much. Um, but I guess sometimes you have to, it's a little bit luck and it's a, a lot of preparation, <laughs> I guess, or I would say less preparation and more, it's more about being in, you know, having, um, knowledge and background and, and proximity to, to opportunity, right? So the so knowledge I, was the training, the training, correct? Well, I would say this, that's what I was going to say. I, I'm like a country boy from the middle of nowhere. Um, right. Grew up on both a farm and a ranch. But then I, when I went to college at West Virginia University, I went, I met some interesting people and, and really changed my life in terms of my faith journey. And then I sort of circulated through that, went to IBM where I worked as a mechanical engineer, I joined IBM and you're young, you don't really know, you know, what you're trying to do. <laughs> you just look for tactical opportunity. And what IBM provided me, actually the first job was teaching optical communications back at Divestiture, right? When the Bell operating companies were first born, the Arbox. Mm -hmm. And I spent a year on the road and that just killed me. So I realized I needed to get something else. And IBM recruited me. And so I had, I figured at least, if I got into IBM, I would have lots of breadth of places to go. And, and back in those days, you know, most people worked for big corporations. Right. And so this is in the eighties. And so I spent time, but I had a desire. Um, it was an opportunity in New York city, which most people from where I'm from 
would never go to New York City. <laughs> so there had to be a little craziness, a little bit of edginess to take a journey. To Are live you in saying that, that they wouldn't want to go to New York City or would they wouldn't get an opportunity to go to New York City? Well, really both. But I think most right. of the people from my hometown, I was the least likely to go to New York City. <laughs> okay. And um, it's just ironic that I ended up there and ended up in one of the high-end sort of IBM sales well, actually, it was in a telecommunications marketing group that covered the entire city. That seventeen vertical industries, so it provided great proximity to lots of different kinds of business vertical industries. But I ended up in Wall Street because my background was in large-scale networking and communication systems. And where better to be than Wall Street, where right. high avail where networks were very valuable? If they went down, you had for seconds you would lose millions of dollars in trades, et cetera. And so I, I came from a background in think, engineering thinking to think about how to architect high availability, scalable networks. I say that just to say years of doing that gave me the background that when I met somebody in New York that happened to be a real estate guy, a broker dealer that was trying to bring communications as the next utility in buildings, i.e. smart buildings, I just happened to have the background and experience to know how to architect, you know, sort of a lot of the dimensionality that's necessary in a shared network in a building. So I say that, you know, how do you get there? I wouldn't have gotten to that if I hadn't put myself in New York City and hadn't been at the edge of my uh, ability. Frankly, I went there and, you know, I had a, a woman that I loved that was at IBM. She was like the systems engineering manager that dressed me up and <laughs> and taught me how to uh, how to use utensils properly, et cetera. So I had some really good uh, finishing school training when I first went to New York City. But IBM was uh, a great a great platform to learn sort of the best. We're kind of the sales organization. IBM was one of the best of the best in the in the world. And so that I spent a year training with them, which was effectively an MBA. But I, so I would say that the combination of drive and, you know, access, a um, little bit ability, and those things sort of provided the environment that when an opportunity came along, I knew what I was doing, and it sort of attracted me and pulled me in. And then the journey went crazy. So you go from two of you or a few people into like 650. and So the, from two founders to 650 employees, correct? There were a couple of founders. There were actually a few guys at the gig originally. Right. Um, there was a president, and they, but there was different people of different levels of, I would say, experience and knowledge. But I brought the first professional sort of experience mm -hmm. from a technology platform development standpoint, I would say. And didn't didn't yeah. you tell me you the, the office was like somewhere central in, in Manhattan? What, what, was the, what was the location? Yeah, my partner was started in the GM building, actually, our okay. first office. So we were right there, in, which became the Trump building. And... Um, so we always had really good Fifth Avenue uh, addresses because my partner was a real estate guy. And so it wasn't, we weren't roughing it from a real estate. Uh, you know, so this, this feels like a movie to me, right? Like you go from two people to 600 people. You are in prime, like at the center of the universe, essentially, New York City, Manhattan, prime real estate. And you are growing like crazy. How, describe the lifestyle. Describe a, an average day or an average week, maybe. Well, you have to realize I was architecting a lot of the technical systems and you had to build the team. So part of it was a sort of feast or famine. You're trying to get by in the skin of your teeth until you go to Silicon Valley and raise a big Series A, and then you're flush with cash, and then you have to the challenge shifts to finding the right people, the cheeks and seats, right, to get scale 
And so I had a great team of technical people that uh, were from all over the world. It was a lot of fun. But I would say that a life in the day of, um, for me back then had to do with literally, it was an 18 hour day where sometimes I slept on the network operations center floor. Uh, very, very, very Elon-esque, if you will, uh, because I was committed and our team was really committed. We had some really great guys and you know a lot of great talent. So it wasn't just me. Um, but that became a uh, gig where my partner was pretty capable and we had about every third billion under contract in New York City, which was about 200 million square feet. And then from there, though, what was interesting, we had some we kind of built, created some things that hadn't been created before. And that was sort of the genesis that enabled us to outperform the market in terms of the revenue per cost per square foot. And uh, so that got us into a whole nother category. But growing that business was four years of craziness. I mean, just meeting after meeting after meeting all day, working hard, playing hard. I was single at the time. Um, so I would say it's kind of the, it was the best of times in many ways, but we're flying around on corporate jets and drinking very expensive wine. And, and then all the things that lead with success is really what uh, became challenging. I think to my character, when you give a country boy, you know, a lot of money and uh, a lot of access to services and resources in New York City, then you, it's going to test your North Compass, right? Yeah. So how does that... So basically, you are obviously super gifted. You have opportunities. You have an education. You rise. You you hit this wave, and you just ride it all the way to the top billion, uh, billion dollar company. 600 employees. You are flying in private jets. It's wonderful, right? On some level, this is this is this is probably beyond what you expected your life to turn out to be. I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm assuming, right? Not many of us can imagine that kind of future easily. Well, except uh, for you, you had the rock star lifestyle about the same time frame in terms of. I, I did, like, So yeah. both of us, both of us in our twenties, were highly accomplished yeah. and fortunate. Uh, and I would say, right? Exactly. I mean, and then there's this. Then both of us faced a very similar, uh, in in many ways crash like a crisis of some sort there's a gap that happens and i think for me for example it was i was literally playing sports arenas across you know i had music fans around 15 countries and um and i was depressed just depressed 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 so on the outside my life looked like anybody's dream uh, on the inside i was just dying right um <laughs> and and what happened to me is that i just it caught up to me that i was hyper focused i mean a lot of both talent, hard work, and opportunity in one dimension. And then I should have let the other dimensions go. I thought they would just happen on their own, whatever whatever the rationale was. You know, I wasn't thinking about it. it turns out they were important mm-hmm. for my fulfillment, for flourishing, all of that. How was that for you? Well, I was really happy during those days when things were going good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a top of the world kind of thing. I would say that some of the chinks in my armor came out specifically when we were dealing with, I would say, board level discussions. There was some conflict that I still sort of had. I think I hadn't matured emotionally enough to deal with conflict in a positive way that didn't feel like it was offensive, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so... I, I was not. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was not very good at handling um, people of, with dissenting opinions or people that don't necessarily have the knowledge that were manipulative or political players. I didn't have the patience for it, and so again, I was a very simple guy, 
And it wasn't until the nuanced later lessons of life came that uh, caused me to adapt. And, and But I think that probably the stressors that were induced were the key elements. For example, we were getting ready to go public. I worked on the S1, every single word, legal, law, it, was, it was all this wordsmithing with the lawyers. And, and I was probably the one that articulated, or at least understood the business best in terms of the technical architecture, et cetera, and, and sort of the business model. But it was mm-hmm. one of those things that was painful. But we got stuck in the April logjam, early 2001, mm-hmm. I guess it was, um, or 2000, I forget which one, I blocked it out. But we had like us and about another 100, 140 companies were stuck in the IPO logjam. So we were burning about 12 million a month in cash. And if that all of a sudden, we were expecting the IPO to provide the, the liquidity, the cash flow that we needed. And when that stopped, the whole telecom market basically came to a halt. You had people like uh, Nortel and Verizon, or Nortel and, and, and Lucent trading at $80 and 62 and a half, <laughs> respectively. And the next year, they were like a dollar, you know, or a couple of years afterwards. And so that was just a major avalanche that none of us were ready for. So I think for me, it, that's when the wheels started coming off the bus. People got, when, when you have those kinds of stressors induced, everybody runs for the hills. People re- react and respond to stress in different ways. We had Silicon Valley VCs that were playing games. We had other folks that were playing games. Everybody was looking for their, you know, looking at their little rock to, to be safe under. And so that thing came to a, a screeching halt. Um, we ended up selling the business, but the, um, you know, it was it was painful. And that's when, for example, when my career path took a left turn or abrupt stop, that created the stress or what's next. Right. And so I would sit around. Unfortunately, when you're used to that first experience, mm-hmm. you're programmed to say, OK, the next one has to be as good or bigger. And you spend a lot of time. I spent many I spent many months actually sitting around and at home on my computer looking at uh, creating new new gigs and I, at the time I had made some money so I had become an angel investor and I was giving money away right and left on things that I knew quite well but it was the market the macro market had turned down so quickly that none of those gigs basically survived the drought Can so I, I lost a lot of money for, for yeah. a second this is this is actually an interesting insight it seems to me that when you when you rise very high that's sort of one of the curses like there's there's a much much more space to fall, right? <laughs> so there's something in us that that refuses to accept anything but but the peak. Is that a thing? Yeah, I think you measure the tide by its height, right? <laughs> that is the highest that it's been, and I think your expectations broaden. If you'd have fast, if you'd have reversed seven years, I wouldn't even be considering this as a stressor, you just adjust to different market opportunities. But once you've been to the game, you've been to the mountain, then you sort of have an expectation. And I think somehow some of us even become entitled thinking that we don't want to do a gig that isn't at least as good as the one before. And I think that a lot of us struggled. Um, Most telecom professionals struggled in those early 2000 years to find something to do. You know, some people went back and taught. I know one guy that went and created a donut shop. (laughs) Right. And my my hat's off to him because I couldn't do it, but yeah, um, it's not he bad adapted. at all. He adapted, right? Right. You yeah, know? yeah. Okay. So what happened next? So what are the, what are some of the other things that happened that sort of describe that describes that curve of professional success and then personal 
yeah. misery, I guess, you know. Well, like again, this word. goes back to your sort of, I would say, emotional maturity and resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of trying to figure out what was next. And I would say even my head had gotten a little big because I was used to being, you know, kind of dealing with a big game. And so there was a humbling, I would say, that happened after that uh, boom and bust cycle that I had a hard time like sort of adjusting to. So there were, whenever you have emotional sort of pressure, Mm -hmm. then often we respond with, you know, emotional release behaviors. (laughs) And some of those can be very unhealthy. Some people, alcohol, whatever, tobacco, alcohol, sex, whatever. I mean, all of those things are things that actually uh, begin sort of making you feel better yeah, but yeah. but it's absolute, but absolutely uh, can corrupt your life, and that's effectively what happened to me. I just you know a few opportunities. I just didn't make good choices, and found myself in a place where you know it affected my family. It affected um, you know pretty much every part of of who I was, and 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 so I think that uh, you you're, you're swirl. I would call it swirling. I was swirling for a couple of years trying to figure out how to get out of this downward spiral that was Mm -hmm. called the market and life became life. So one thing led to the other. I think that's part of what we need to teach people and kids as to how to be resilient when things aren't all going well, right? One thing that's particular, one dimension in your life that's really not doing well, shouldn't, we shouldn't have let it sort of create the uh, downward swirl for the rest of our life, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Do you think there there are certain dimensions of life that are sort of found more foundational than others in this that you were saying one thing goes down it doesn't mean the other thing doesn't go down. Yeah. Well, the problem the classic problem that I had experienced was overcommitment to professional success. Okay. To the you know to to the extent that it was imbalanced with my personal success, if you will. You know, so there's things that we measure personal success and people have different measures of that success. I had previously been a very spiritual person and had faith. And because you know, a variety of reasons, there, that was sort of really a, an area that I, I didn't focus on for a number of years. And because of that, because I sort of lost my moral compass a little bit, it, it actually prevented me from... Uh, performing well in the other areas. And then ultimately, it's like this balance of the 360 behind me. If you have a, um, if you were to measure your life in 360 degrees, the area of, if you're super overbalanced in one area, then you're by nature, usually there's no time or energy left for the other areas. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me is I basically became overbalanced and uh, over invested in trying to figure out what was next. And therefore imbalanced, be, yeah. And but imbalanced, but also become impatient. Mm-hmm. I maybe have emotional action, act act out in certain ways because you're angry, you're frustrated. All of those things that happen when, you know, a, you are at a high level of career, and then all of a sudden you're not. There's uncertainty and doubt. I, mm-hmm. I pretty quickly jumped over to private equity in New York, where there was a lot of things to do, but I still never felt the uh, <clears throat> level of accomplishment that I had. I think in the early, in the late 90s because of I was building something of value. Private equity guys tend to fund deals and so there was a period of time where uh, my personal life just blew up, right? It was just um I made some bad decisions and that's part of where 
our relations relationships help put some of that back together and balance. And your, your sort of mentoring has helped me a lot when I came to Austin. So I left New York City, came to Austin, Texas, where I felt like there was a little more balance at some level in terms of faith and life and family. And there was kind of a natural, I think, respect for family in, in Texas. That was yeah. a little different, different than New York City. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that. Different um, pace too, right? Different pace, different culture. <laughs> definitely a different pace, different stresses. Uh, and so level, I mean, when you'd fly into New York City and LaGuardia after being gone on a business trip, you just felt the energy as soon as you came into town and you're back in the game again. And I loved that. I thrived on it as a, as a 20-something. Um, but the older you get, then you have to look at more of a sustainable you want to build it. You should should wisen up a little bit and actually build a more sustainable approach to mm-hmm. to life, right? Don't you think? You know, I guess I'm asking because I remember our first, you know, coffee that we had, we got together, right? <laughs> when we got together, and um, my sense was that, man, this is this is a this is really accomplished and smart guy. I can learn a lot from him. But man, you weren't happy, you know, and uh, and it was just one of those things that I go, oh, wow, uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's do something about this. And I guess the question is this, is that at least in my case, you become very good at something, very, very successful at something. And then you neglect certain areas of life that are really central to, to you as a human being. And they bring you down, they bring you down, you lose joy, you lose peace, you lose, you stress, um, and then that affects the very thing you sat, you sacrificed it all for because you become less good, <laughs> less objective, less calm, less joyful, less giving, less less good with people, right? I mean, th- th- did you experience some of that stuff? Yeah, I think that um, your why is very important. Right. There's the what. Like what I was doing was building something cool in the 90s, but my why had gotten out of whack. I had lost my sort of faith driven, the core of who I really wanted to be as a person, you know, the purpose behind what I was doing um, because of some disappointing things that happened early. But I think that uh, when you lose that purpose, like the core center, Mm -hmm. then you're sort of, you lose your compass a little bit. And so I think to the extent that, that I lost that compass was really the core of my happiness. When and my soul what really made me happy was being purpose driven, helping people, leveraging mm-hmm. technology and leveraging business and things like that. But I had lost my kind of core purpose. And that's what the hole that was in my life. I felt like I had overinvested in professional um, purposes <laughs> and I had, I had lost the driving essence of my soul if you will, that really kept me together, which was my faith in God. And because of my decisions that I'd made, it had hurt my family. It, it just hurt a lot of, uh, there was just a number of years of pain and suffering because of choices that I'd made and combined that with market dynamics. And it was really, I was miserable in the mid 2000s. And that's when I made a change and I came to New York, or I came to Austin um, and found my way to church through some old friends that I had, I had known from New York City that were actually visiting, that were actually part of your group, and and I think in downtown Austin. Um, when I first showed up, though, I was, I was in, I was, I was a mess, particularly in the core of my soul. It wasn't about professionally; I was still looking fine on the outside, but in my heart, I I was I was desiring good, solid friendships again that had 
similar spiritual objectives that I was missing the fellowship of the brothers, if you will, you know. And I remember seeing one of the guys that was in the community <laughs> about the same age, and he and I had a natural affinity for each other. And then you and I had coffee, and I think I was in tears. I was just a mess. And what was great about it, though, is that there was, you know, there were answers, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, hey, I get uncomfortable when a guy's, you know, in tears in front of me, and I don't know what to do. You had a real clear, you know, sort of <laughs> next steps, which gave me a lot of uh, hope in terms of just that, you know, I had almost lost hope. I had lost hope that I could, you know, get my spiritual life back back in order. Um, and so I think that since that was core to me, yeah, became the anchor element that had to get right. And then what was interesting, though, is the relationship between that and all the other outside things and ultimately sustainability, true life sustainability is a function of having, you know, your core element right. But then being having your character map into all the other sort of areas of life so that you have your so you not only have a kind of a a true north from a compass standpoint, but that actually applies into those areas. You actually apply it into your relationships, mm-hmm. dating or your relationships, friendships wise and professionally, et cetera. And so I became, I think, uh, I, I, I came back to, to who I really was as a person, but it required a lot of mentoring and there were things I had just had blinders. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Get blind, yeah. we get blinders. We just, we, we know what we know. We know what we don't know, but many times it's those not knowing what we don't know <laughs> that actually is the little tweak, like an engine that has one cylinder, it's out of yeah, whack. Yeah. The whole thing kind of wobbles and, and runs terribly. So, so give us, give us, that, give us like a quick can... high level. What did you, the, oh, the third thing, right? you like, uh, this is what I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, can you think of anything specific? Well, I think there were just blind spots in terms of, um, I think just an emotional maturity and being able to, like, I was really good at being a middle linebacker. I could blow up a front line and blow up a, a running back in the backfield, but I, I, I lacked um, kind of emotional reserves, I would say. I was very, I think, uh, I, I hate to use the word, but I had, I think I had, uh, when you're, when you grow up as a child, a lot of our formation, things that were formed in us are formed from early childhood. And I was raised in a, in a place where, Mother died when I was young. I was very independent, spent a lot of time on my own. My father and I were very different. Um, had a lot of respect for him, but I was as opposite as could have been. And so I basically ended up, my character formation was a lot of my own thinking. And I think that independent, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality um, is going to uh, harden, if you will, dimensions in your character that you just need other people to see because you may not, you may even see them at times, or maybe you see the effects of those things, but right. you can't, you don't know how to change them. And one of the things that I think your, your superpower is your ability to see that and then be able to enroll me in sort of seeing it or illustrating it and then helping provide real practical tips on how to change that or how to, how to adapt. And I think that's really, um, but when you make those small tweaks, it's just like an engine that's out of whack. It just hums like a, you know, I mean, it's just amazing what's happened in my life in the last, I don't know, five or seven years, right? And relationships and family and professional balance. And so in general, the core of my spiritual sort of um, desires, um, purposes, et cetera, are all in, in 
have synchron have are synchronized and um yeah yeah you know that's what that's what i that's what i see i mean what you're one of my favorite people in that sense that you quite uniquely because you know i'm around a lot of people a lot of very gifted people successful people you're one of those rare people who are have all of that you know and have you know you're you're in many ways more accomplished than i am and yet you had sort of this humility and and this grit to venture into places that are not familiar and and you're not you know you're not as free and great at, at in these areas and you ventured very courageously in, into them and uh, and I, that's why I sort of you know the big the big reason why I wanted you to talk and unpack this is because I think you're a your great success story in my book right is how you re re-embraced faith and we need faith because we need perspective if we don't think from perspective you know about our lives the meaning of our lives the purpose of our lives you know we really you know we're not doing ourselves a, a favor you know we, we we think about me 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 all the time right like the self-focus without the perspective it just doesn't work very well so you incorporate faith you started sort of talk thinking about romance and, and love in in ways that were uncomfortable and you just pursued it in, in remarkable ways and i think you did amazingly in relationships uh, just friendships and in, in investing into deep friendships and community and you do like you serve people every you know every day every week and that trans i think transformed you in in remarkable ways and i think the reason i i sort of mentioned these dimensions is that i see you have having this peaking now at a new level professionally because you mastered all these other dimensions that are core and then you added them to your natural giftedness and training and experience and the things that you're doing now i feel like are the result of all, all this work that you've done not only professionally does that make sense is that mm-hmm. accurate that i missed some, something what tell, tell uh, me i i appreciate that i don't i think uh i don't feel like i'm that talented but i I think the uh, what I have is a level of grit is probably right. Yeah, um, ten- tenacity. Some people used to call me a bulldog, <laughs> and uh, and there's value in that. But I think the thing that's the nuanced part of it is, you know, there's the scripture in Proverbs that says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding." That reality kind of drives me to a place where I have to learn from others, right? Mm-hmm. And so you were great at, it. I mean, I don't, there's been many people in my life that have tried to, I'll say, train me and, and mm-hmm. help me and mentor me. And, um, because of my programming, I would only handle it only if they were pretty good at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, you were, you have all the, you have, this is your superpower, your mastery to be able to help people see what they don't see. And I think that's part of the, part of the uh, value proposition of what you're doing in this program. And I'm a huge fan. So I think that uh, trust, for example, is the, is the basis of good relationships. If I didn't yeah. feel like you had my best, you know, sort of mm-hmm. intentions at heart, um, then I would have a harder time trusting what you're sa- or doing, what you're saying. Right. But at the end of the day, you get to the point where, listen, I've done it my, my way this long. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you've got to make a decision. You know, I am where I am today because of me you can't blame anybody else and so the faster that you own it (laughs) the faster you're going to change it and optimize it and that's the thing i would say it's been an optimization routine over the last you know whatever seven years um where 
I see myself, I'm making the same mistakes, but then I may be less than I did last time or I'll be less reactive than I was before. Yeah. Um, be more patient, consider other dimensions that I hadn't considered. And I think it's a matter of emotional maturing, if you will. And it's, it's interpersonal relationships. I think a lot of people are really good at what they do, meaning they may be smart in a certain dimension and experienced in another dimension, but they lack the interpersonal relationships dynamics and maturity because of whatever reason programming that they uh, subvert themselves in life. Right. So somebody who's been married, if you've been married more than a couple of times, there's probably some things you could learn. Right. Um, if there's, you know, if you've been fired in a number of times, then there's probably things you can learn. Uh, I think that as entrepreneurs, we can hide a lot of our um, flat sides. You know, I was talking to someone recently. This is uh, you—you uh, you induced the question in me, I guess. The I was talking to somebody, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm doing this." Um, uh, I was talking about the program, right? About the exponential life program, and and how high achievers tend to be unhappy, generally speaking, because of the, the hyper focus on one thing and less focus on the other. And then this person who I was talking to, who was a client of mine, she said, "So is that really true?" I go, I go "Yeah, this is true." She goes. Do they hide it? And then what is, I mean, are they faking it? I said, I, I don't think, I don't think we fake it on purpose, but you do present well, right? If you're, if you're relatively successful. So tell me about that dimension, you know, is, and I think that's encouraging to most people because we're sort of fundamentally all insecure. We don't want to expose pain. We don't want to expose a struggle. Uh, we, especially if we've achieved something in life, we sort of want to keep that, that facade, um, relatively presentable you know <laughs> tell me about that because i think many many people that will listen to this will go yeah that's me how do i how do i overcome that hurdle of the facade issue hmm. i think facade is directly related to your identity right i mean if you're insecure in who you are even yeah. what you are or what you've accomplished then you're going to work really hard to look good. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think that um, I was really good at presenting a certain, well, I mean, people from high school, people used to say, man, you, you seem so arrogant. And I'm like, and people would say it, but once I got to know you, you're really not. But I yep. had this, I projected this facade mm -hmm. that kept people away. So it was almost like I had this, you know, uh, shield that would prevent you know, me from being vulnerable. Right. Um, and I think that football was a classic, right. you know, sort of illustration of that. I was very good at it because I like to hit and I like to, you know, I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> but I was not very vulnerable. Um, I was very sensitive. I was like a little child on the inside, but I had this big, big veneer around me. And so that actually projected even in my body language, which I wasn't aware of. I didn't understand why I was, People would think that I was arrogant. Um, yeah, same here, man. I had that same overconfident effect. or whatever. Had that same effect. I hated it. Yeah. I hated. I hated me being too. Yeah, like me that, too. right? Yeah. Um, but there was a part of me that was. Uh, I'll put it this way. <laughs> There's a direct correlation of sort of the things that are out of whack with respect to your flat side. 
you know, the flatter your side, the more you over project the other dimension. Right. You compensate <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's compensation all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if like just the dynamics of, of, of dating, for example, really interesting dynamics of how people show up. Right. And mm -hmm. what they do and whether there's integrity and um, and love as as I were treating other people. I think men get a rap. Men are terrible at times in dating because it's sort of a what's in it for me kind of mentality. And I think that um, that goes back to things that are way, it's not about the woman, it's about his issues, you know, way back. So for me, I would just say that I, people, I had this problem in relationships because I always came across as arrogant, which nobody likes arrogant people. People like people who are vulnerable. Yeah. But, you know, and I would even articulate things that made me sound vulnerable, but the way I carried myself was incongruent with that. And so it wasn't until I think that uh, these layers of, and I think frankly the safety that you provided and some other close friends provided to be able to just drop, to literally say, hey, you can be yourself. Yeah. It wasn't a conscious thing. I wasn't consciously putting anything. It was completely subconscious. But I think part of the keys to accessing the subconscious barriers is this layered approach of just obedience. You gotta trust, you gotta try, try it on right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that wax on, wax off. If you, you may not understand why you're doing it at the time. You just have to have somebody who's wise enough to give you the wax on, wax off. And then eventually you're doing the karate kid thing, right? Yeah. So like tr trust the process, right? It's, it's that core, right? Yeah. You know, find someone you respect, admire, and you think- But where do you find the process for life like this? Exactly. You don't yeah. just go to the internet and say, okay, I'm looking. There's <laughs> lots of coaches, you know, right, lots yeah. of coaches in life. But I think where your program or where you're uniquely qualified to do this is you've been an entrepreneurial leader. You've been a rock star. You've had personal tragedy and you've helped people like me, a couple of people that I know just like me that are, you know, similar. Yeah, absolutely. And but the results are there. Mm -hmm. And I think the results, you know, you've got to basically look at the results. Like you're somebody who's a rock star that now has had a marriage for like, yep. 30 years. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know, yeah. it's like how, I mean, the proof's in the pudding kind of thing. So to me, mm -hmm. you, you want to check out the, what we call the fruit of the labors, right? And so for me, I, I can tell you that I'm happy. I have a, I have a happy marriage. I have a, I have, um, you know, stepkids and, and I have, <laughs> I have friends and I have, you know, faith and I have a, a lot of family. And it's just, I'm, I'm very thankful for, that um, things turn. Now, I wish I could have gone back and rewound the clock 30 years, and that would have been a huge opportunity. So to me, uh, my one piece of advice would be don't wait. Yeah. You know, if there's any inkling, if there's any connection, any of this stuff sort of like scratches an itch, don't, don't wait, try it on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I, and I, and I think you did, you went for it. And I'm, I'm like, you, I, I say that all the time. Like you're one of my favorite people that I admire for the ability to in, engage in difficult transformational processes and, and trust and be both humble and sort of gritty and persistent. Um, and you just get there and, um, I'll talk, I want to talk to you about how that express expresses itself now in your, like you're working on the biggest project of your life now, which is super <laughs> awesome in my mind, right? And I really feel mm -hmm. like you were given that project because you are much, you are com more complete and more capable um, uh, all around, right? So, but before we get there, uh, I want to talk that, uh, about this at the end. Um, tell us about the wonderful Nicole. 
<laughs> and and because to me that was one one of my, one of my favorite romantic uh, stories uh, ever, right? But tell us how that played out in your in, 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 well, meeting, in meeting a call. Yeah, there's a lot of dimensions we could press into on this one, and I'd, I'd love to share personally with anybody that wants to. However, um, listen, we all have choices that we get to make, and after you've been through peril and difficulty, you tend to have protections. And so, uh, part of what was really been what was really fun is to have you in the journey with me on this. So I had. I didn't trust myself, right? And so I needed guidance. And so we had this really funny dialogue. There was somebody else just before Nicole that I was pretty into. And <laughs> we, had, we had this dialogue, like, what do you think? You know, and, and then eventually you're like, run, don't walk. And I was like, all right, I must even I was, my <laughs> I was actually hesitant to say that, but you were pressing me like, yeah. what do you really think? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if you want to know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what makes life great. Somebody has your back. Yeah. yeah. Where else can you go and people have your back and, and you're because listen, we're blind. And if we've got to wake up to the fact we're naturally blind in spots. Yeah. If we don't true. do that, if mm -hmm. we don't do that, we have no hope. We're yeah. basically stuck with our own thinking. So, but fortunately, because of that, and I think it's really interesting how these things work. You're almost like a test before you're giving the good stuff. Like yes. if you have to pass this test by yep. which you make choices that make you sort of reliable. Yeah. And by the way that you, the choices that you make, that you become more reliable and then um, you get the good stuff. So I'd met Nicole and we were literally um, early on, we're just friends. And it was funny because I had, I won't even get into the story, but there was, I had invited her to a party and I had to de-invite her because I was trying to finish something with this old girlfriend that you and I were talking about. And so basically, as it turned out, she was very uh, patient and uh, both of us were in a place of transformation that just seemed to work out really well. But she's, she's you know, a diamond um, in my life. And so it's, it's a beautiful marriage and it's a beautiful, like it's fun to actually have fun in marriage yeah, yeah, yeah. And to it's, it's a joy to your, it's a joy to witness uh, to have your you, best friend like you to be just there and be able to mm -hmm. um, just to have you know at this stage of the game we're not young you know spring chickens anymore but we've lived life and to to enjoy that and to have God at the center and be able to build that I think is the is the power of of what we're talking about it's about building a foundation that you can then lay bricks upon yeah that. You're yeah. not going to have blown over halfway through the, that was the problem. Every seven years I would build something, then it would collapse because I didn't have the foundation. So you have to build solid foundational elements and then that weight can kind of be supported on that foundation, right? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Well, it's it's a beautiful thing, your your marriage and it's, uh, so this, for, for you guys uh, watching this, he proposed to Nicole during a premiere of a, a short film I, 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 I wrote and created. And so we were premiering it at South By at a, this really great sort of local theater called the Alamo Draft House near downtown. And we had this, it was part of a film festival. So they had these short films and then interview the, the creators and then another short film. So, and, and the, the film was called Dance With Me. And uh, of course, Nicole and Brandon love dancing and they're beautiful dancers. So Brandon had this idea of sort of surprising everybody and I mean it's like a full theater of, of uh, and and invite her on a dance so we're like we talked to the organizer of the festival he did and then after my my piece our Deb and I were you know she's she produced it I directed it we talked about dance with me I said well I have a friend who loves to dance and he would like to dance for you and then you 
you bring Nicole out and she has no idea you're about to propose and we have footage of this and there's people like losing their minds, right? Because you like got on one knee and the whole audience just exploded in jubilant applause. <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> oh yeah, it was special. I mean, just that uh, you had produced that and we could share that moment together and it was, it was something we can always look back on with. Yeah. A lot of fondness. Yeah. I think that uh, she was hyperventilating, which was hilarious. <laughs> but it was wonderful just because, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity. I've had a lot of failure in my life. And I think this is sort of a message. If anybody's listened to this, it doesn't matter how much you failed. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to be humble enough to get help. Mm. And I think that to any dimension, there's a lot of dimensionality in life. You can fail in, in many different directions. Uh, and we all do. But in, unless we actually start asking the questions and getting help from people that can actually uh, shift those things, then we're just in for a long haul of, of difficulty. So I'm like, stop the madness, yeah. <laughs> do, a do, do a, do a timeout, stop the madness, just have a session, you know, talk. And I guarantee you, you'll be happy that you did. Uh, you mentioned the project I'm working on now. I, I don't think that um, it's pretty amazing. Like I, I don't think that I could have done this 10 years ago. Um, and what's been great, and even recent conversations we've had around balance, even though you're working a startup, which can be seven by 24, that's that's a not, not a good way to approach your startup. It's not sustainable. You need to build well. And part of building well is balance, right? And so I like this program. You, you talk about, you know, being kind of successful and yet unhappy. And I think unhappiness is, is something we feel, but yeah. guarantee if you want to Unhappiness will come through failure in many, any, any of your dimensions. And so unless you're executing on the dimensions in, in sort of a balanced way, you know, you're in trouble. And so I think that's what's beautiful about this. We have a global gig that I think can have, can have tremendous impact and, and help a lot of people. Um, and uh, it's called Koinonia, and I'm very honored to be a part of the team that's actually building it. So thanks for your support. And uh, yeah, it's exciting to see what's possible with what's left in life. You know, if you build well, you're right. Yeah. And I think I love I love that you're working on Koinonia because I've, I've, you know, as business partners, and we work, we're sort of investors and in supporters of startups and founders and things like that. Uh, I was actually looking at our calendar because I was doing this other exercise for something else about our last seven years of projects. Uh, a couple of days ago, I just spent hours looking at the projects, and it blew my mind how much, how many projects we've done together. It really, it really did. It adds up, man. And uh, so thinking about this, I go, I can see the trajectory. It was wonderful to to sort of reminisce, because I can see the trajectory of maturity and wholeness now overflowing into this Koinonia project that that you're leading and you're like you're uniquely qualified to do this. Like it's it's absolutely, I know this for a fact, people that are around you, your team, they confirmed that we just don't know anyone else who could lead it that way, right? And I really attributed this, attribute this to the, the spiritual, emotional, relational work that you've done over the years um, that got you here. So in some sense, what you thought was, you know, like a, a, a mountaintop professional success years ago was not actually if you if you deal with with the stuff right if you do the work um you're given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to have more impact to have exponentially more impact 
um, without it costing you your marriage, your family, your friendships, your joy, you know, all of those things. And I think you, you embody that in remarkable ways. Thank you. Well, it's a team effort, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like an amazing team. It's amazing how things show up in your life when you sort of are on the right path. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're a part of that, like tremendous, but I don't, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. So I appreciate you so much in your mentorship and friendship and support. And, and I think, um, like, for example, one of the modalities, just even a couple of years ago, I was running a gig that I think I, I picked my linebacker sort of mentality of driving and tunnel vision and focus, you know, caused some issues with the team. Right. And um, what I learned from that, you and I have de kind of, kind of deconstructed it, right? Deconstructed that and looked at it. And, and listen, like when none of us are perfect, but the ability to change. Yeah. I think is is something that's critical. And so in this one, I've invited you to you know, be with the team and get to know them and make sure that they have a pulse on yeah. happiness level. And, and, and I, I mean, you know, we, we all have weaknesses, but the question is, is are we enrolling people mm -hmm. to sort of around our flat sides to protect us? So yeah. I love that phalanx thing right back in, back in mm -hmm. Greece where you have this, you know, ancient way of protecting your brothers, but as a team, and I think mm -hmm. that's part of what's what's missing today is this this independence in the West where we do it all ourselves. That's a total facade, which is not true. It just any good work, yeah. any yeah. any good startup is going to be done by a team. And I think there's more visible people, but I can tell you, even like Elon Musk and some of these other guys that look like they're solo players are not. Mm -hmm. And it's just the they're the vocal ones. But I think I'm thankful for you being part of the team. I'm thankful to be on the team. I'm thankful to to have an opportunity to still be in the game after all these years. Yep. And um, many of my colleagues are retiring. <laughs> and I think we're just getting started. And I we're think, just I getting like started. We're just... <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I feel yeah. the same way about you because I was, you know, as I was reviewing our projects for the last seven years, a couple of days ago, I was thinking never in my wildest dreams as a, you know, media guy let's say i'm i'm doing music i'm producing other bands i am doing music videos maybe i'm doing film okay that mm -hmm. was probably the, the the sort of the boundary of my imagination of how mm -hmm. where would i would go professionally right maybe i would right. do some nonprofit work never in my wildest dream would i imagine myself being a tech <laughs> investor a co-founder a uh, anywhere uh, and this is a, such an exciting space and the only reason where i can track with people i can do some good work is you is being around you mm -hmm. for seven years seriously like it's like there's no way i could have had even this dimension of my life present if it wasn't just being around you learning from you and sort of at first like barely understanding what you're talking about and then eventually <laughs> sort of tracking with you um maybe not yeah. at the level where you are but but close enough where you, we yeah, can have a yeah. shorthand and you can talk about a, a, a wide range of topics and I'm, mm -hmm. I know it, and I have an opinion about it. Right. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah, just, you could, I mean, you have the full ability to mentor startups. I mean, there's no, no yeah. ifs, ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah. So it's, uh, and the only reason that is possible is because of you. And I think to your point that we're not created to be solo, uh, sort of this atomic people, like just one person separate from the other. And my journey is my journey and your journey is your journey. It's, uh, it's just not the best way to live, right? It's, it doesn't mm -hmm. work very well. So um, awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts, man, and your and your story. And 
like you know we can talk for hours and we do so (laughs) (laughs) but i wanted to i I, I just want to put a plug in for this program because i'm telling you there's there's you can only work with so many people i mean this is there's a fundamental limitation my encouragement to you would be get in on the inner circle because this will be a fellowship you'll there'll be a group of people like us and you'll contribute to you'll be a part of our world our little uh circle and i think it's one of those things that you can't measure in dollars the value and what you're able to build what you're able to create the happiness that you can have as a result of being in the program so um i'm a big fan i'm i'm gonna be right there with you in the program so thanks buddy appreciate it